please turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The word of God for the people of God. Oh, good morning. Happy 4th of July. Great. May the 4th be with you. Yes, may the 4th be with you. I know that's a couple of months ago, but we'll throw it out here for that. Uh, great to gather. I, I, I don't ever remember a gathering. Obviously, we do this every seven years or so, but I, it's been a long time since we've gathered on the, fourth, on the fourth itself, and so it's good to be here. Fun to see some colorful clothes in some of you, and um, we're actually going to spend some time praying for our nation. Uh, at, at, towards the end of our service, Mark will, is going to... Mark's going to come up and lead us in some prayer for our nation, which feels right and good. Um, but I'm going to teach on prayer uh, before we do that. Hopefully, that'll be a helpful context for us praying then. And we've been in this series uh, on kingdom living. We've been looking at how do we, what do we need to be rooted in? What are these core things that we're rooted in in order to live out the kingdom life that Jesus invites us into? And we've looked at things like being rooted in scripture, being grounded in community, and now we're talking about being grounded in prayer. This is week two on prayer. Uh, last week we talked about, we talked about the Lord's Prayer, uh, the prayer that Jesus gives us, which I call this soul-shaping prayer. It, it is this prayer designed to shape our souls, point them towards the true north of the kingdom as we pray that prayer over the days and years of our lives. And this morning now we're going to look at another passage on prayer. You might not have known this was a prayer passage, um, but if you look at verse 18, there's all sorts of comments about prayer. And so that's going to be um, the verse that we'll focus on. 
Um, but I'm actually going to spend at least half the time talking about the context of the verse, and then we'll talk about the verse itself for just the last bit. Um, but before we do this, I, I thought I'd ask you a very simple question about your prayer life. And um, I know that if you ever want to make a Christian feel guilty, just ask them about their prayer life, right? But I want you to, th- I'm going to ask you a question. Why don't you pray more than you do? Okay, and I, that's not like a, that's actually, that's not like a jab. That's actual. I mean, maybe some of you pray all the time. Um, some of you maybe don't. But however much you pray or how, however you pray, why don't you pray more often? Think about it for a second. What, what, are, what are your barriers to a, a life of more a deeper prayer or more constant prayer or, you know, whatever. Just think about it for a second. Why, why, don't I, why don't I engage in prayer more than I do? Okay, I think it's important to have our own answers to those sorts of things. And uh, I'm going to offer two simple answers today in this passage, and there's so many more. Um, but I, I, I thought it'd be good just to be thinking, okay, what, what is this prayer life? And when am I praying off and when am I not? And what's going on there? And so I just want you to be thinking about that as we look at this passage. So, um, again, verse 18 is the, is the prayer verse, but I want to spend most of our time setting this in its context. Uh, and it was perfect to, to have this read right after the Martin Luther song, A Mighty Fortress. This is perfect. Um, so here is the context of this conversation about prayer. The context is verse 12. Take a look at verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The context of a praying life is this. We are at war. We are in a battle. We don't live in peacetime. We live in wartime. And I hate this reality. Personally, I hate that this is true. Um, John Piper has some good things to say about when, what, how people live when you're in wartime versus how you live when you're in peacetime. He says, when, when nations live in, or when people live in peacetime, we live in comfort and luxury, right? We, we spend time building up our homes, building up our retirement accounts, posting fun vacation photos on our Instagram accounts, right? Um, waking up excited for the next episode of this binge show that we've been watching for the last couple months, right? We, we drink too much on the weekends. We grow spiritually fat and lazy, to put it simply. We fall asleep to the dangers because it's peacetime, it's not wartime. In wartime, people and nations live with a greater simplicity. They live with a greater intentionality, right? You, you prioritize the things that are most important. You don't assume comfort. You assume things are going to be hard. Things are going to be challenging. And so what you do is you stay awake. You stay vigilant because you are at war. And I, I just... That needs to be, we need to be reminded of that all the time. And, I, and I'm confessing, I hate this reality. And I was thinking, that's great, we're talking about knights and battles, and I couldn't help but think about um, this moment in the two towers um, where you have King Theoden, who right, had fallen asleep, and Gandalf releases him from this spell, and then Gandalf and Aragorn are meeting with him and saying, hey, thousands of orcs are headed your way. You need to take your men out to battle and meet them in battle. And, and Theoden says, um, I'm not going to risk open war. And Gandalf says, open war is upon you, whether you would risk it or not. And this is Paul's <laughs> to us, open war is upon us, uh, whether we would risk it or not. This is the reality of our lives, whether we want it to be 
or not. And what makes this so complicated is often it's not the battle you think. The battle you're thinking about in your daily life is not the most important battle that's happening. Right? Here's what he says in verse 12. Our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood. And most of us wake up thinking about the flesh and blood struggles and battles ahead of us for the day, right? I want to perform well at work today. Uh, I I want my spouse to treat me better today. I want my kids to do better in school this year. I want to make more money. I want my boss to appreciate me more. I I want to get rid of this annoying low back pain. How can I solve these? These are flesh and blood battles. Nations have flesh and blood battles that they're working through. Our nation has lots of flesh and blood battles that it's trying to work through right now. And Paul's reminding us, yet there is, there's a deeper battle underneath that, yes, absolutely shapes those flesh and blood battles. But the, the ultimate enemy uh, is not flesh and blood. The ultimate enemy is not your <laughs> boss or that person who hurts you or that politician or Uh, your spouse or your wayward child, that's not the ultimate enemy. Those may be enemies in your life, but those aren't the ultimate enemies. Here's the ultimate enemies. Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, uh, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The true enemy is this complex network of dark, evil, spiritual beings. Am I sounding crazy right now? In this secularized 21st century Right? And at the top of the, that network of people is a being, last week we heard Jesus refers to him as the evil one. We know him as Satan, the devil, the accuser, the adversary, the father of lies, all these names. He is a real being, and there are other spiritual beings at work in this present darkness. And we don't think about it. Our, let me rephrase it. I don't think about that often. And Paul is reminding us, open war is upon you, and it's not the battle you're normally thinking about. It's a battle underneath that battle that is fundamentally spiritual in nature. That is the reality, Paul says to us. And every biblical author, as kind of um, ancient and uh, superstitious as it may sound to people today, Jesus, Paul, Peter... Moses, they all are agreed there's a spiritual world out there and there are spiritual forces of evil out there, okay? What's the call then? Well, the call is to step into this battle with the strength that the Lord provides. And he provides plenty of strength for this battle. So look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. All this, here, here are the 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 language of strength, strong, mighty, power, full armor. There's lots of strength, but the strength is not ours, right? It's God's. We're being strengthened with the power that he provides. And the goal of putting on this armor, the goal of all this strength, is simply that we can stand firm. Look at verse 11, end of verse 11. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes... Um, Or look at verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand, verse 14, stand firm then. Get the point? Okay? 
I think we should stand, turns out. Would everybody stand for the rest of our time today? <laughs> Take your stand, stand your ground, stand firm. The idea, I, I think, is that Jesus, our King, has won a great victory. He has stepped into enemy territory. He has conquered our great enemies, Satan, sin, death, condemnation. He has won the victory for his people. We now, as his people, stand in his forgiveness, his grace. We are the children of God. We looked at that last week. And as children, we're heirs of eternal life. We are now part of, we've been transferred from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's son. Amen? Amen. Jesus has taken back territory. We stand in that territory. And so the goal of the battle is then stand firm, stand your ground, meaning don't let Satan push you around. And you don't have to let him push you around. Because we have this armor, we have the strength that our Lord provides. And so together, we get to be this kingdom outpost in, in an enemy territory. And so what is the armor of God? This is not a sermon on the armor of God, so I'm not going to walk through it. But it's essentially, you think about these things. He talks about standing firm um, with, right, you've got a belt, you've got a breastplate, you've got these shoes, um, you've got a shield, you've got a sword. Um, but that's all a very kind of creative way of, of talking about these things. Here's the things that he mentions. Things like truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. What is he saying? I think he's simply saying, the putting on the armor is simply to say, <laughs> be who you are in Christ. Live in the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Jesus has done. This is the victory. Now live in it. Live in truth. Live in the righteousness you have in him. Live in the peace that he provides. Live in the gospel. Live in all of these things. He has done this. Our job is to remain firm in it. Be in Christ and be in Christ together. Live in the good news. It's really good news. And so that's what's so weird because you've got this dark, evil battle out there. But really, our weapons are, are these wonderful things <laughs> like faith and hope and, and joy and peace with one another and kindness and gentleness. They're not the kinds of weapons that you think about, you know, engaging in warfare. But they're actually the ones that keep us safe. Those are the things that we need to remain firm, and that's how we don't get pushed around. And so within all of that context, spiritual battle, standing firm, full armor of God, we then get this passage about prayer, this verse in verse 18. My English translation has a new paragraph at verse 18. In the Greek, this is the same sentence, okay? It's the, it's the same conversation continued. So... It's in that context that Paul brings about this conversation about prayer. And so what I'd like to do, even before I read verse 18, I want to just, in light of that, let me just tell you two fundamental assumptions Paul makes about prayer. These are really basic ones, but I think really important. Um, clearly in this passage, here's assumption number one, prayer protects us, right? Prayer is part of the wartime protection for God's people in the midst of this spiritual battle that we find ourselves in, right? Prayer protects us, and it's not hard to understand why. Prayer keeps us connected with the Lord. Prayer keeps us dependent on Him, keeps us from wandering around, right? To, to pray is, by definition, to go to God, to converse with Him. Uh, one person refers to prayer as our wartime walkie-talkie with, with, you know, with our, our commanding officer. Prayer keeps us close, 
uh, it, it, it keeps us connected and so it keeps us protected. And so we obviously, in our lives, we're praying for things out there, right? We're praying for things around us to change. But first and foremost, what prayer does is it, it changes us, right? Pr- prayer reorients us away from anxiety, away from anger, selfishness, and, and orients us to God and keeps us close to him. And in that way, it protects us, okay? Prayer protects us. The implication of that, I want you to hear this then, is if that's true, then prayerless people are very vulnerable people, right? I mean, if we're in a battle and prayer is one of the things that Paul invites us into to protect us, then if if we are not praying people, we are, by definition, vulnerable people, vulnerable to attack. And what what makes this hard is there's a lot of people that don't pray um, that are really vulnerable to to this, but you wouldn't look at them and think they're vulnerable at all because they might be very successful, they might be, you know, doing well by, according to the flesh and blood, um, they might have lots of friends, they might have lives that you think, these are very, this, I would love to live that life, that looks like a great life, but spiritually, they're vulnerable, right? Because if we're not staying connected to God, then that is a way that we, you know, lose our protection. And um, I think that's one of the reasons, as, you know, I asked you that question, I mean, why don't we pray more? I think one of the reasons we don't pray more is we don't daily wake up with this sense of our own vulnerability apart from God. M- most of us don't wake up, I, I don't wake up most days with a sense of my desperate need for God. <laughs> I don't realize, God, if, if you were to withdraw <laughs> the grace that you're giving me all the time, or from me or my spouse or my kids or my friends, on our own, things are not going to go well at all. We, we don't live with this sense of, of desperate need. And that's one of the challenges of living where we live, right? We can kind of wake up and kind of do life, and it feels, like, it feels like flesh and blood answers are enough for the challenges of my life, right? I have challenges, but if I work at it, if I strategize, if I have the right connections, I can kind of solve most of the problems of my life. And so I think one of the things that God sometimes does is he kind of removes that illusion for us, right? And we go through these times of significant need, and what do we start doing when we're in need? We start praying. We start realizing, oh, turns out flesh and blood answers can't compete with spiritual problems. And I think churches are going to have to learn that right? I think churches are beginning to see that. We, I would say we went through a couple decades of like church strategy, like take just general business principles, apply them to churches in America, and boom, you can do these awesome things. And I think we're, we're seeing, man, there are spiritual things afoot in the world that human strategy is just no match for. Like we need the Spirit of God. Churches, we need to be in desperate prayer for God to do the things that only God can do because the most important things are spiritual in nature, right? So that's one thing. Is it prayer? Prayer changes us. It, it protects us. It keeps us close to God. So yes, we do pray for things to change out there, but first and foremost, prayer actually impacts us and protects us. That's clearly Paul's assumption in here. The second assumption, though, having said that, you guys still with me? Okay, is that prayer does indeed change things out there. <laughs> Prayer's not just there to change me, Prayer changes things, and that's Paul's assumption about prayer all the time. Look at how prayer, Paul prayer, prays in verse 19. He says, 
Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You don't ask people to pray that way unless you think your prayers might help this come about, right? Let me show you another place where Paul does this. In Philippians 1, he's in prison awaiting trial. And he's wondering, am I going to die or not? And he's, he's kind of convinced, no, I think I'm going to be released. But here's what he says. I know that through your prayers, Philippians, who are in a different part of the world, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I'm convinced that I'm, I'll be delivered, and I'm convinced that because of two things that I have going for me. One, your prayers on my behalf. Two, the Spirit of Jesus Christ working in me. And it seems to me that Paul has a very strong view of God's sovereignty, okay? He believes that God is sovereignly at work in the world, but it also seems to me that this sovereign God has chosen to use the prayers of his people as one of the things that moves him to do things in the world, so that if his people had not prayed, things would not have gone the way they go. All that to say, prayer changes things. Prayer has an impact. And really, prayer is not some magic that changes things. God changes things, right? There's no power of prayer. There's just the power of God. I believe in the power of God, but I also believe that God listens to the prayers of his people and moves according to those prayers. Um, there's a great, uh, you guys ever heard of George Herbert? George Herbert? No? We're getting like, I've got like a 15th century painting for you in a couple minutes. George Herbert is like a 16th century Christian poet. And he has a, an image of prayer. There's this great poem on prayer, but one of his images, he calls prayer reversed thunder. And I love this image. And if you think of, of thunder as, you know, the power of heaven, the power of God coming to earth to, to do powerful things, lightning and thunder that, you know, we just experience the power of the heavens. He says, prayer is like reversed thunder. Prayer is our, our thunder up to God. God's people calling out, laying a hold of the, the throne of grace in heaven that then moves God to do powerful things in this world. I love that. Reversed thunder. Um, but I think that's the other reason I think some of us don't pray very often. One is we're not aware of our desperate need. And secondly, we just don't think it does anything. I mean, I think that's such a common issue. Like, in the end, I don't really think prayer matters. I mean, I know I'm supposed to do it. I know it keeps me close to God. But I don't think that anything's going to change because I pray about it. And, and, and some of us, there's, there's um, really wounded stories of unanswered prayers, of course, that move us towards that place. And so I just want to, again, present Paul and I think Jesus and Peter and the others who would say, no, no, God listens to the prayers of his people. So continue to pray with a confidence that we have this God who, who longs to hear those prayers and loves to answer those in his good pleasure. Okay. So, that was all set up for the last five minutes, which is our verse today. So, let's look at our verse, and I'll just make a couple comments, and, and then Mark will come up and we'll pray for our nation. Let me read verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Okay, two, two things to note there that I'll point out. 
One is this phrase, pray in the Spirit. And then the second is, did you notice that word all? There's four alls in here. And so I want to just talk through that for five minutes. What is this? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And what it, let's just get inside of all these alls today. All right, so let's, what, is, what does Paul mean, pray in the Spirit? Now, I don't pretend to know exactly what he means, um, but my assumption is he means something like pray in line with the Spirit. Pray in dependence on the Spirit. Pray as you are moved by the Spirit of God. So let me just show you two other places in Ephesians where Paul talks about the Spirit and how that might impact prayer. Ephesians 2.18, Paul says this, For through Jesus we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Now, a lot going on in the context of chapter 2, but the point I want to make here is this idea that we now have access to the throne of grace, and the person sitting on the throne we can call Father. We talked about this last week. And the Spirit is, is you know, is, is when, when God is moving in us and he's, he's drawing out that Abba call, he, the Spirit is the one who teaches us that we are, in fact, God's children, and we can come to the throne of grace to a Father who loves us and is longing to hear from us. So I think praying in the Spirit at least means pray in the confidence that you are a child of God. Don't come groveling to God. Don't come begging. Come to God assuming he loves you and he likes to hear from you and he's longing to give you the kinds of good answers to your, your prayers that he can in as, in as much as they are actually would be good answers to your prayers. Come in confidence. Come in boldness. Come in the affection of a child with his or her father. And then the other passage uh, is in Ephesians 5 where Paul says this, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So he's comparing being filled with wine to being filled with the Spirit. And I think the question would be is, whose influence are you under, right? Are you under the influence of alcohol or other things, or are you under the influence of the Holy Spirit? So the idea being, who's guiding your life? Who, who's controlling your life? Who's shaping your decisions? And so with this, I think then it must, to pray in the Spirit, must mean something like, you want to have prayers that are influenced by the Spirit's work in your life, right? You, you want them to be shaped by how the Spirit's at work in your life, shaped by His priorities. You want to live a life that's surrendered to the Spirit, look out at the world through the Spirit's eyes, then try to pray prayers that are in line with what you think the Spirit is up to in your own life and in the world, okay? So that's what I think that means, praying the Spirit. Come with the confidence of a child and, and let the Spirit shape how you look at the world and, how you, and what comes out of your heart. All right, and then let me just walk us through these four alls, okay? Paul's answers to when, how, for whom do we pray. Let's look at this. Pray in the Spirit. Um, my translation, the first one, is on all occasions, okay? So when should we pray? Always, right? On all occasions. That word can mean seasons. On all, all, it's the kairos word. We've talked about that word before. So pray in seasons of loss, in seasons of anxiety, in seasons of need and temptation and anxiety. Pray in seasons of joy and celebration and excitement and fun and goodness. Or we could just think of this in terms of the, the daily times of our day. Pray when you wake up and pray when you're driving in your car and pray when you're having a meal with friends and pray when you're going to sleep and pray when you can't sleep in the middle of the night, right? Pray all the time. When's the right time to pray? Answer, yes, always. All occasions. 
all, all, all times. So all occasions. Uh, second, my translation says, with all kinds of prayers and requests. And I love this. All, all types, all kinds, uh, all categories. Pray prayers of adoration. Pray prayers of confession. Pray prayers of thanksgiving. Pray prayers of supplication. You might recognize the ACTS acronym there. Um, pray structured times of prayer that you set aside. Pray spontaneous prayers. Pray long, um, contemplative, silent, listening to God prayers. And pray quick, one-second, help God. You know, I'm going into a meeting, right? Pray all kinds of prayers. There's no one right way to do it. There's a lot of ways, and you should do them all, right? Next one, uh, here comes my picture. Uh, this mind translation says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. It, 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 it's something more like um, pray with all alertness and perseverance, okay? And the word alertness, I don't know what yours says, or stay awake, yours might say. Um, the the assumption there is that we might, in fact, fall asleep to praying, that we might desire to pray. We might have, you know, sort of a, a general drive to pray, but that that would kind of lessen over time, and we wouldn't stay awake to it. We would, we would fall asleep. We wouldn't stay alert and vigilant in our prayers. And that word alert, here's the picture I want to show you. It, he's using the same word that Jesus used when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, you know, that this is... Um, this is a 15th century painting. I'm going to show you the bottom half of this painting in a second. It's not my favorite um, Gethsemane painting, I'll be honest, but there it is. Um, remember, Jesus, the night before he dies, he's in the garden, and he brings Peter, James, and John uh, with him to, to the garden. And remember what he says? He says, stay awake, watch, and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? It's that be alert and pray. You guys are facing temptation right now, he's saying. You may not know it, but a great temptation is coming. And so you need to stay awake in prayer so that you will stand firm in the temptation. Now, if you zero down on this, um, you have these three knuckleheads down here. Um, and I love the guy, the guy that just utterly passed out, you know, just out cold, sleeping in the garden. And they didn't know what was coming. They didn't know they were facing a great spiritual temptation, and they fell asleep. And because of that, they didn't resist the temptation. They fell. They all fell away. They all abandoned Jesus. Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. They didn't stay awake to prayer, and because of that, they didn't resist temptation. And so I think Paul is, is drawing on that word, and, and, and that, let, me just, let me just put that back up. Like, for, what a great image for for most Christians when it comes to our prayer lives, right? <laughs> That's so good. Like, the spirit is willing, right? I want to want to pray, but the flesh is so weak. And half the time we actually fall asleep when we're praying. So it's just such a good image. Um, and yet I'm always encouraged, these sleepers changed the world, <laughs> right? So there's hope. There's, there's always hope for us. But stay awake, stay alert, Wartime, not peacetime, right? And then finally, the last all is, he says, pray for, where is it? Uh, end of verse 18, for all the Lord's people, right? We are all in this together. We, we don't pray for the people of God we like and not the ones we don't. Uh, we, we pray for one another. This, this is, we are in a battle together. This is not a solo journey. All right, so there you have it.
Uh, we're in a battle. And the weapons we need are not flesh and blood. They are spiritual, and they come from the Lord. And so we are invited into this life of prayer, to pray for God, to protect us, to protect one another, to keep us alert, awake, keep us living inside of the gospel of the kingdom of light. And so uh, Mark's going to come up and just say, I, I just want to say we would love I said this last week, we would love to see the Spirit of God just continue to blow through our community and make us more and more a people of prayer. We want this to be a house of prayer. Jesus said, my Father's house, I want this to be a house of prayer. We want this place to be a house of prayer. We want our lives and our relationships to be uh, a place of prayer. And so I I just want to invite us especially into praying with and for one another today. Uh, We can always, obviously, time alone with the Lord is so powerful. But today, I want to just encourage us to pray with one another and pray for one another. And um, I've been, at various seasons in my life, parts of relationships where prayer becomes a natural part of the relationship, and it's so beautiful. Maybe we'll go for a jog, or we'll, we'll have coffee, and some really meaningful things will be shared. And then, at the end of the time, we'll just kind of go, hey, let's, let's Let's just pray about this. Or we'll just kind of move straight into talking to God. And we've just talked about these deep things. And, and then we pray about them. And it, it is so right and good. I know some of you with your spouses, you have conversations that then just move towards prayer. And so what I'd love to see, and this is my challenge to us, is that we would become a community who just naturally moves to prayer with one another. And we would love to see this room. We'd love to see the patio after the service, a place where you just regularly see people you know, in pairs or in threes, just praying after a conversation they've just had. And I just want to say, I know how hard it can be to cross that barrier, like socially, to actually in that moment say, hey, can we pray about this? Like, I've been part of friendships for years that, you know, you, you, get in your, you get in your rut, right? You get in how you do things, and it can be hard to kind of break that. And so I want to encourage us just to break that and to become people who just start saying, hey, can we, can we pray about that? And here's the thing, no one ever says no to prayer right? Almost no one says no. And so it feels funny to to be the one to initiate it, but it always feels wonderful to be the one to receive it. And so my encouragement to you would be thinking in your relationships, when you've had a meaningful conversation, rather than say something like, hey, I'll be praying for you about that. Instead say, hey, can can we pray about that right now? And doesn't that be weird at all? But literally that, that something like that, hey, can, can we just pray about that right now? And if they say no, then, then, then they're not your friend. So, no. Um, yeah, we can pray about that. Let's, let's, let's pray about that right now. Great. And pray. And come to the Lord and do that. It's so simple. And yeah, I think that would be a really helpful and good thing. that We just, prayer is not this compartmentalized thing we do. It's part of everything we do, right? It's the alls. It's always happening all the time. Um, I want to invite you you know, during COVID, we started this Wednesday morning Zoom prayer at 7 a.m. You can find it on our website. And there's this sweet community that has developed over however many, 15 months or so, that some of our, um, you know, just some of you are on. And that has been one of these silver linings of COVID. And again, one of these things where, where need forced a really good thing, which was prayer. And so if you ever want to join us in that, we do that every Wednesday at 7 a.m. You can find the info. You can find the link on our website. Um, once you know, we have, we have a prayer email chain. 
um, that we would love you to make use of it. As you're having needs for yourself or your family, you can even write requests anonymously if it feels funny to give your name. But we, there are people who are praying for you all the time, and you can find that on our website. So I wanted to let you know those two formal things. We would love to have you join us in that. But mainly, I just want to say we want to be a, a praying community that just goes regularly to prayer. So with that, we'll have Mark come on up, and he's going to um, pray for our country in the midst of where we find ourselves. Good morning. So it's 4th of July, as we all know, and, um, and we just want to take some time to, to pray uh, as a church family and, and in light of the fact that it's our nation's birthday, and uh, so let's do that. You know, I, you, I don't know about you, how do you feel about our country right now? And I'm sure we, I'd get, if, if you actually were to answer that uh, out loud, we'd get a lot of different answers. Uh, and I know for me, I have a lot of ambivalence um, uh, about our country. And I think a lot of that, whatever, whatever it is we think about our nation, it's going to be fueled by what we dwell on about it, right? Um, some of us think about our founding principles and values that our, our nation was built on, freedoms that we have been able to enjoy over the past you know, couple hundred years or so. Um, but for some, as, as they see some of those values eroding uh, over time, uh, and, uh, or some people are maybe concerned about other things, such as uh, inequities that they see in our country um, or maybe just an animosity towards people and certain people in power. Feeling good and celebratory about our nation uh, feels a bit trickier in light of all that stuff, doesn't it? I was lying in bed uh, this morning uh, early, as I do, uh, unfortunately, earlier than I'd, I'd prefer, uh, but just thinking about all this, and, and a few things hit me that I just want to share with you. Um, first of all, Despite the many flaws that we have as a nation, we still have a whole lot to be grateful for. We really do. Um, I've traveled a lot around the world. And I'll tell you, uh, we have the best thing going still. We really do. Um, and so we should be grateful for the many existing blessings that we can enjoy. And secondly, and I want you to hear me on this, is um, we have spent far too much of our energies on hating other people's sins more than our own. Um, or grieving our nation's drift more than our own spiritual drift. And so I, I just want to encourage that our gaze should be first towards ourselves in that regard. That, um, that we might see the need for our own spiritual renovation, repentance, faithful living, and the vitality, the faithful vitality of, of this church. That's where our attention should primarily be. Not primarily at what everybody else is doing wrong. Uh, the Bible says 
And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what that means is blessed are those who understand their own spiritual impoverishment. That's the starting place. Uh, seeking him in a heart of dependence to work that out, to solve those problems. And then independence, uh, trust him and, and obey to be the kind of people uh, that he wants us to be. And that is not just to work it out for ourselves so that our own lives are good, but that we might be a blessing to others and might be a blessing to this nation, I would say, uh, as well. Our God has, in history, spared nations for the sake of a righteous few. So why don't we be that righteous few? And though I think many of us feel so small and insignificant and powerless in, in many ways and feel that, I don't know, the politicians, the state, the elite, the media, uh, or dark spiritual forces that we've been speaking of hold all the sway and influence in what is happening. But we must always remember that all of those things are subjected ultimately to the authority of the King of Kings. And it is he who is sovereignly, unflinchingly, and carefully ruling his world. And this nation's future as well is part of his glorious plan. However that trajectory goes, it's part of his glorious plan. And what's really, really amazing, turning this whole thing to prayer, what's really amazing to me as I heard it said, and I love this line, the monarch of mankind bends his ears to his children. It's pretty awesome. The monarch of mankind bends his ears to his children. And so with that in mind, let's just go to him because his ear is bent towards us right now. So let's bow. Let's bow in prayer. Will you pray with me? And as we come into the presence of the Lord through prayer, let's just take a moment to gather your thoughts. Where do you stand with the Lord right now? Bring your current condition before him, just laying it as, at his feet. And where there is sin, confess it. And where there is anger or bitterness or self-righteousness, confess it. And where there is pride and self-reliance, confess it. And where there is grumpiness and grumbling and cynicism and feelings of hopelessness or despair, ask the Lord to heal you. And where you need a new and fresh vision for faithful living, courageous living, 
spiritually influential living where you need a vision for how you can be a blessing to others. Ask for it. Father, you have placed us here in this time, in this place, in this church, and in this country. And it was not an accident. And we may never know why, but we want our lives to be lived for you. And we are grateful to have the opportunity to live in a country for this time that we have enjoyed unprecedented freedoms, freedoms that most of the people of God have never gotten close to experience. And inasmuch as those freedoms have allowed us to worship you and serve you with faithfulness, we are so grateful. And inasmuch as they have made us soft and complacent, we are sorry. Have mercy on us, O Lord. And on this birthday of our nation, we lift it before you, its people, its leaders. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Turn our hearts towards you. May we turn from our wayward ways. Heal our land. All the hate, betrayal, division, it feels overwhelming. But whatever it is that you have in store for our country, we know you have a plan for us in it. And Lord, we want to be faithful to what you are calling us to be in it. A light to this world, salty with holy, redemptive influence. May we not cower amidst the cultural current. May we not bend or compromise or conform but may we stand in your strength, wielding the weapons of your kingdom by our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. By having our hearts for the poor and broken, be broken and expressing that care and concern with lavish generosity and good deeds. Lord, it has to be you in us to do this. We don't have what it takes apart from you. So I just pray that your spirit may sweep through this place. Do what needs to be done. Have your way. And may we joyfully surrender to your hand. For you are a good, good Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.